No, I don't. I don't want your other podcast shoddy hands offs. I'm not taking scraps from the table. You know, no. I want my own questions. I'm not having second-hand hand-me-down questions. You can fuck off. Okay. Well, we. It's a good question, though, Dave. Okay, forget it. Never mind. But I have another question that somebody asked specifically for this show. And they say, I love Dave Crossland so much, and I specifically want to hear what he has to say about this question. Do we do that one? Okay. Okay. Hey, what's going on, guys? On this episode of Drugs and Stuff, Dave and I are going to talk like just a tiny bit about SARMs at the beginning. And then after that, we're going to talk about why it might not be a good idea to use blended products, like where you get test, trend, and mast all in the same vial. From there, we talk about fast-acting carbs and do you need them post-workout. We'll discuss when to restart your TRT after you finish a cycle, combining growth hormone with MK677 or other secretagogues. Can the injection site you pick, say delts versus quads versus glutes change the speed at which your drug is released our long esters better for mass gains and we answer the question when did people stop saying roids in juice and start saying gear and hey listen guys if you're new here i encourage you to hit the subscribe button and hit the bell this program comes out every monday and we have several other bodybuilding podcasts that come out each week featuring ipv pros Longtime coaches and educators in our industry that are all here to help you make better decisions so that you can reach your goals faster and stay safer in the sport that we love. All right, guys, let's get to Dave. All right, let's get this thing rolling. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings. High quality, third-party tested health and performance supplements for you Canadians out there. Go get yourself some ephedrine, and you can do that at supplementsource.ca. Get a lot of ephedrine because you never know. Government might change their mind tell you you can't have it anymore, so you want to stockpile that shit. Dave, what's up? So basically, all Canadians just go and get speeded off your fucking tits, mate. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get a lot more done at work. You'll be a lot more plugged into everything you're doing the more ephedrine you take. It's a one-to-one, direct one-to-one ratio uh, uh, performance, um, You know, tasks completed to how much ephedrine you're using. So I recommend starting with two or three. Welcome to our family-friendly show. Yeah, this is definitely family programming. Hey, by the way, I have to mention, um, man, and we're, so he posted this, so I guess we can post it too. I don't like posting people's private information and stuff, but this is for real. <laughs> so I love the play. I'm not so sure if it should. Is that a, a 300? I don't know, but that's that's Matt's car. I mean, two two seventy or whatever it fucking is these days. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm not so sure if we can accept it on a Nissan. I think it needs to be on a V8. But other than that, I am very impressed. So this is in Virginia. Uh, I didn't realize that Christmas cabbage had uh, taken a holiday. Well, this is the thing as well. So technically, that's Christmas cabbage's car. Oh, oh, okay. Is that so, the way it works? Like if you put a plate I, on it with your name on it, it's yeah. yours? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, a lot of loopholes. <laughs> Things work real different in the UK, I guess. 
Listen, we were gone I think, last I week. I think that's amazing. I do too. We were gone last week, guys, uh, and we apologize. I begged and pleaded with Dave to please do the show. Uh, and he, he told me he just was like, I don't care about those guys. I, you know, I'm going to do my own thing today. Scott, that's not the truth, is it? <laughs> it's not the truth. We are both, honestly, we are you, both pretty busy. You you were at the accident and emergency department because of a fatal masturbation accident. Come on now. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, that was the truth. Uh, we were both really busy last week, so we apologize, guys. But we did collect all of your questions from the previous episode. If you guys want to take part in the next episode, then comment below. Um, plus comments, likes, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm. Also, I should say that if you are new here, hit that subscribe button because you can see Jolly Dave's face. You'll get a notification that Dave is back to hang out with you every Monday, except for last Monday. <laughs> so we do have a bunch of questions. Um, okay. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm right. professional. I'm going to start here, man. <clears throat> Kind of a loaded, me asking you this is kind of a loaded question. Uh, Dave, how do you feel about SARMs blends all in one bottle of liquid? You, you okay. realize we're recording. So, okay. Yeah. I was going to say we're live. Yeah. No, okay. I just, I'm thinking I want I just, to give a constructive okay. answer. Not just going to spout any old shit that comes to the top of my head, you know. I have to think about these things. It's not like you send me the questions before and I said, Dave, prepare. No, I just get them dumped on me with one second. <laughs> Surprise. Away. Surprise. Yeah, what do you yeah. think of SARMs? Fucking answer this, you fat English twat. <laughs> that's, um, exactly, that's exactly what I say, too. <laughs> You're right. You're so right. <laughs> um, General, if, if if we were talking anabolics, I would be very wary of blends because inevitably they aren't dosed as they should be. Um, a lot of labs will, will underdose on their blends and just put the, the bulk of the cheapest stuff in. Psalms generally tend to be a little bit better. But how um, would you know that, Dave? How would you know that they, they don't dose things properly in the blends? Testing... You're doing testing? Is that what you're telling me? No, not no. We're not up and running yet. I don't. Fucking sore subject. Do not bring that up. Oh Honestly, no! I'm I did. I didn't know that was a thing. I, I was getting at some people might not know that uh, Dave works as an expert witness uh, in prosecutions related to steroids, and in these prosecutions, uh, and defense, in defense. Thank you. Uh, they do. The police does testing of the gear that gets confiscated, right? So you've seen a ton of tests and you've told us this before that these things are not always accurate. If you're if you're going to pick one product from a UGL that's that that's more than likely to be not be dosed, it would, it would be a blend. Okay. Um but anyway, but SARMs generally are usually much closer to being legit in the sense of their dosing and what they are so i would have less concerns about the psalm being legit but at the same time i'm just i don't know the thing is when you use a single compound you can sort of evaluate even if you don't have access to testing you can sort of evaluate whether it's doing something mm -hmm. 
because you add that compound in and you see or you feel changes. With a blend situation, you don't really know because you don't know what element of that blend is doing what or not. Yeah. Um, if it's just general psalms around gaining mass, then it's as long as the product's giving you the results you wanted, and I don't suppose it's particularly an issue there. But if you've got a product that's, uh, that's claiming to do several different things at the same time, then I would be a little bit more wary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem with the marketplaces in which we, we operate in and the drugs that which we use, even with, with stuff like SARMs and stuff that's a little bit more regulated. Um, I mean, it's probably, it's probably worse over in the States because obviously they're, they've, they're not freely available anymore, whereas in the UK they still are. Uh, well, they yeah. sort of are. It's, it's going to um, all be underground. I think mostly it's like research yeah. site companies yeah. like Amino Asylum. Use our code THINK. <laughs> Fuck me, you're on the promo today, are you? Um, but yeah, so I, I would still have a tendency to, to favor single dose. Um, I would too, man. You know, here's the thing is that we want to be able to, like each compound we have is it is is they're all going to they're all going to they're all going to work as different tools. And if they're all combined, you can't really adjust them individually. Like if I'm, if I'm working on a diet with somebody, I want to be able to be able to individually tweak dosing, you know, versus if you have, and let's just talk about a, a steroid blend. If you have like a cutter blast cycle blend in its test trend masteron, that could be a brand name, Dave cutter blast cycle support that's the shittiest fucking name ever i love it in fact if i were to start a lab that's ah, what i would call my first product it would be a blend it also has as bad as that it's as bad as that fucking shirt is that name which shirt that shirt this one or the nirvana shirt yeah. no the the one on top of the nirvana shirt the one that looks like the homosexual lumberjack <laughs> I will have you know, by the way, I'm wearing this shirt in memory of Kurt because we are recording this uh, on the anniversary of his death. Would you believe it's been 28 years? It's a long time. Isn't it, that's it really? Yeah, that's dude. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It means well, I'm yeah. really old because I remember that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Fuck, I am. You, you, you know, you want to be able to adjust um, dosing individually. What if you don't like 100 milligrams of trend? Well, you're stuck with it if you want to get 100 milligrams of master on and 100 milligrams of test. So, I, you know, yeah. it's more expensive to buy things individually usually, but I'm with Dave. You're going to get them, um, the, the, you're going to get more accurate dosing and you can dose it more accurately uh, as well. Uh, but, but SARMs in general, I, I would say that I'm not a fan. You know, I, I don't think that for the majority of people that SARMs are going to be you know, they, they don't seem to be what they, what they, what people claimed, what we thought they were going to be initially. And I no, think it, if, no, as time goes by, they're getting less and less popular because people are figuring that out. The, the, the thing is with Psalms, Psalms, Psalms fit in a, in a, in that little box between gear and natty. Yeah. And they fit quite well. People like them because they're not injections. They like them because general oral administration, they're convenient, they're easy. 
And they will help. They will give yeah. a performance boost. They will give a, a progress boost. They're not gear at, at the end of the day, and, and they're not going to perform like gear does. And they were when they were first sort of proposed and, and looked at, supposedly going to be these hugely anabolic compounds with very little side effects. And it, the reality is just never actually occurred. And a lot of SARMs aren't even really SARMs. I mean, they're supposed to be selective antigen receptor modulators, and some of them have some some completely different actions. Yeah. But but you know, they if if you're not looking for anabolics, they have a place. They do have a place. But they they'll they pale into significant when compared to to proper quality anabolics. Okay. I'll see what else we've got here. Um, oh, we got a nutrition question. So this falls into the stuff category of our program, the drugs and stuff program. Nutrition question. For my post-workout shake, I have half a cup of oats mixed, and I kind of have a, a, I have a, I have a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? What's a, a something, a bone, that's the word, a bone to pick about this topic. Um, I have half a cup of oats mixed in a shake with protein and a banana. Should I leave the oats out because they are slower digesting carbohydrates? Also, how many grams of carbs should I shoot for immediately after training? I'm currently 180 pounds and trying to bulk clean. Is a banana good for post-workout carb source? Thanks. And this is from Lake Fork Giants. And I just wanted to say this, Dave. I think that, that yes, there is some benefit to faster acting carbs post-workout but i feel like the way that that's been translated in our current bodybuilding community to the to some of the newer younger people is is that they are mandatory and that you're almost like wasting your time if you're not eating gummy worms or some other sugary source of snack post-workout the reality is you can grow as big as a house without eating sugar post-workout you can use carbohydrates like oatmeal rice sweet potato and you will do just fine in fact you may do better if your blood sugar stays more stable and it doesn't mess up your appetite later in the day what you've also got i think people seem to forget as well is that the carbs that you ate an hour before training are still being leached into your system when you finish training uh-huh because of the digestive process so it takes several hours to digest and then that stuff leaches into your system and starts to circulate around your bloodstream you know it, it's not like i i eat rice two hours before my training and then that rice carbs the carbs from that rice is in my system and i've used it all up by the end of my training it doesn't fucking work like that so the constant feeding is constantly supplying your system with nutrition i'm not opposed to fast carbs post-workout i i use the, the the sweet treats or maltodextrose type stuff um, more as a, a psychological thing quite often for people that are on a tight diet because it gives them a little bit of a reward. It gives them a little mm. bit of a treat at a point where they're going to cope with it better. Yeah. But I'm probably more, much more leaning towards stuff like potatoes post-workout. They are relatively high glycemic, uh, but they're still a good roughish carb source. Um, so that would be more where I'm looking at. But de- most definitely, I mean, I, a large part of my training career, I, I never, never took a show, shake post-workout. I just ate food. That's a lot of food you ate, too. No, yeah, I, mean, I was a lot of person. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you're saying here. 
Um, and, and how many carbs should he eat post-workout? I think it's going to depend on the individual. I know some guys that they struggle to stay lean. And if that's the case, they're probably not going to be able to handle as many carbs. You know, the way I try to build a diet is uh, first, most important carbs I give them, it would be pre-workout. Next, most important carbs would be post-workout. And then my if that's later in the day, then my third meal that I'd put carbs in would probably be meal one. So those would be like the three places I'd start. And as I'm building the diet, that kind of determines how many carbs are you handling? That kind of determines how many I'm using post-workout. You know, there's no set number. Like you need to have 175 carbs post-workout to get the optimal response, you know? I tend to, if I, I tend to keep direct post-workout carbs as in shake post-training carbs, not particularly high at all and I'll, they'll be one of the last things I bring up whereas post-workout meal carbs I'm probably a bit more going to bring up earlier um, I generally will start sticking carbs in in a post-workout shake or intra when I'm struggling to get carbs in in other areas because their appetite is shot to shit as in they're just eating that much they're struggling to get more in great point yeah yeah, that's exactly what I would do too. I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on those solid carbs first, and when we get to the point where it's like, oh, he's eating a lot, then we need to get something easier, and that's where we might go to a simple carb, you know, in a post workout situation. But I do think though that there are a lot of people who are under the impression that it's like it's gonna be to my benefit. I need to get these gummy worms into my life, you know. If I'm that's just grow. an excuse. Yeah. All right, what else do we have here? Uh, man, there's a lot. Of, okay, this one's been hanging around for a long time, Dave. So he posted it a couple is that because, times. Is that because we haven't wanted to answer it, so we just kept pushing it back to the next one? I missed it. I missed it a couple times. This is from HVCIW. And HVCI. W's question is for the next podcast. Uh, this has been my sophisticated estrogen management strategy. Whenever I feel itchy, sensitive nipples, I take a quarter tab of one milligram uh, anastrozole. Uh, I don't take anywhere, in, I don't take any when I am at 140 milligrams of TRT. Uh, when I bump it up to 300, I was an average of. 0.5 to 0.75 milligrams of ADEX per week, uh, and that's the most that I've taken. 0.25 milligrams every day or every other day when I was experimenting with Trestolone. Um, I think I, let's see, okay, what's this question here? Is this a suitable strategy for estrogen management, uh, or am I going to grow a pair of tatas? He doesn't actually say tatas, but I thought it was funnier than saying tits. Not really. I thought it was um, funny. Comment below if you thought it was funny, too. I don't see any comments. <laughs> Me either. I guess it wasn't um, funny. So, the... Best estrogen management strategy is the one that's going to manage your estrogen. And I know that sounds really sarcastic, but the bottom line is so far you can go with feel. And if you aren't getting puffiness around the nipple and you aren't getting itchiness, then the chances are you're not going to have any issues with gyno. 
because one of the symptoms of developing gyno is the swelling, the puffiness and the itchiness. So if you're not getting those symptoms and you're not seeing, all right, you can put the itchiness to one side, not everybody gets that, but you're still going to get swelling. I mean, that's how it starts. You know, it starts with swelling of the, of the, the gland, so of the tissue. So if you're not getting that, then your estrogen management from a point of view of preventing gyno is working. The downside to ADEX is obviously it is a little bit harsh on, on healthy lipids. So you're going to need to keep an eye on your HDL and see how that's behaving. Uh, but really, whether your estrogen management is successful or not really boils down to where your levels are in relation to you. Yeah. And that's that's not just a combination of what number you're posting on estrogen, but also on how you feel with that number in a sense of progress, estrogen, um, water retention, gyno, you know, lipid management and all the rest of it as well. So there's nothing wrong with the sort of microdose approach to ADEX. Don't mind that at all. It's not a, a bad protocol. And obviously, if you're not getting issues with the nipples, then it is doing what you want it to do from a point of view of managing that. You could potentially get exactly the same off Novadex. Um, whether that estrogen management is good or not would depend on where your estrogen levels were. I mean, if you're running that and you're sitting at, in UK terms, 40 PMOL, um, then your estrogen is too low. And, and you're going to be restricting growth and you're going to start having a negative effect on other aspects of your health. Um, so, it, it, you know, you can run estrogen too low. So it, it isn't just a case of stopping the side effects. You really do need to have a look and see where you are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good that's good advice. Man, I, I remember my estrogen was like way off the charts and I had no idea. I didn't know until I got lab work done. Um, and it could it could have a negative impact depending on what your goals are too. You know, if you're running your estrogen too high. Yeah. Um, can we just John Box has just dropped a question into the comments, and I just want to pick on it really, really quickly. All right. Yeah. Let's take that one next. What's um, up, John? The, re the reason. Well, hold on what? a second. Let's let the audience because some people aren't watching; they're listening. So, hey guys, uh, just a question. In the past, uh, when I've gone from a blast to a cruise. I just went right to it. Uh, I heard from Chase Irons that he suggests not pinning anything for a few weeks between a blasting and cruise. I didn't catch the why, but now I'm curious as to your thoughts. Thanks. Right. First of all, what the fuck are you doing listening to somebody else? Why aren't you getting your information from us? We are yeah. not going to play second, second fiddle because you went on another podcast. You didn't listen to it probably. You can't then come to us moaning and expect us <laughs> to fill in the gaps. What do you listen? Why are you asking us? Go ask your good friend yeah, Chase Irons. Exactly. Exactly. We're not getting used by that. We have feelings. We are real people. We have feelings. Chase watches so, our um, stuff sometimes, so I hope he catches this. We, I, I, I seem to be giving him shit on every show we we do now, so it's, it's kind of fun. we got to have him on sometime. But anyway. Um, so basically, when you drop from – when you finish a cycle, obviously your hormone levels are way up here. You're very, very, very elevated, and normally they would just decline in line with the half-life. The problem is that when you go straight onto TRT, as it comes down, you're constantly pushing it a little bit back up, a little bit back up. And so as a result, it extends that decline. Yeah. You can literally push your hormones levels above – the dose that you would get from the dosing you're doing 
for as long as eight weeks post-cycle. So the idea is don't do anything for a couple of weeks, two to three, depending on your cycle dosages. That lets your levels drop down, and then you pick up your TRT. So you're going from high to your TRT levels quite quickly instead of having this six to eight weeks of elongation elevation, which obviously is going to compound things like HDL suppression. It's going to compound things like thick blood and and potentially things like elevated estrogen and elevated prolactin because most people, when they come off cycle, they will stop their estrogen management because they don't think they need it anymore. When yeah. in fact, their test levels could still be very elevated for extremely long periods of time as a result, start to create estrogen issues. So that's the reason for the break. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I don't think you need to go straight into straight into the TRT, especially if you're having signs like, you know what, if your hematocrit is up and then you go to TRT immediately, it's not it, that TRT is going to help to keep it up. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, prime example, I had someone literally this this. Two days ago, Monday. No, two days Monday. What day are we on? Wednesday, Tuesday. Where, where are we? Monday. Uh, Monday. Um, blood results. He's he's on a TRT. He's on about 50, 150 milligram of test a week, and yet his test level came back at something like one hundred and fifty n mol, one hundred and sixty n mol. So upper range UK is twenty nine. So it gives you, you know, you can see where you are there. It's like five times upper limit, uh, and he couldn't understand it. And he finished his cycle three four weeks ago. Okay, but the thing is, he's planning to go back on cycle in another three weeks. Yeah. So in all the time he's been, what he thinks is off, his actual hormone levels have been cyclitic. Absolutely, yeah. So technically, he's never had a break. You know, he's never come down. Um, so you know, it can have quite an impact, and this will compound. So obviously, when he goes into his next cycle, the, the risk of thick blood being an issue are much much greater because he's never had that time to allow things to settle back down. I think that's one of the reasons why so many people are interested in trying to find a supplement to fix their hematocrit now because they're not taking time off between cycles like they used to. Or they do, they they think they are, but the reality of it, they're not. Yeah, yeah. All right, what's this one? We got a. Uh question for the next podcast if someone were to use eq or any other that increases red blood count for endurance workouts such as crossfit mma etc would they be able to maintain the endurance gains that they made on their cycle if they came off let's say this is after eq has completely cleared out given its long half-life Potentially not from a point of view of elevated hemoglobin, so increased blood oxygenation. Um, and the reason for that is that high cardio or high cardio output style training will lower hemoglobin and will lower RBC. But you would have a window if you could get you if you could mm -hmm. jack it up on cycle, you would have a small window. From what I understand, yeah. red blood cells yeah, turn over in about four or five weeks. So you're yeah, you know, so I'd say you're, pretty elevated. I would say you've probably got a three-month-plus um, comfortable or, of elevated levels before you start seeing that high output to really bring them down to a point where it starts to become impacting on performance. I would say less, personally. I would say like a good month. 
because those but I mean you you may still be elevated some but I would say like if you want a strong elevation because those red blood cells die off uh, so if you came off of everything you could have it back down to normal in like you know six weeks I, w- I would have suggested you'd still be a higher end of normal but okay if you were on TRT especially I bet you're right you know if you had something to help keep it keep it up there but I don't know either. I mean, I'm not 100% positive about that. So it's a, it's a fine balance as well between being too high that is problematic and being low that you lose the advantage of it. And it is a fine balance. There's, there's not a big window there. You're only looking really sort of 165 to 180. You start going over 180 emo and you start to get into problems. With track and performance athletes, um, a lot of times it's used an anabolic is used before the event say say somebody is running at a certain speed and then they go on some winstrel and then they improve that you know by we'll say 20 percent well let's say 10 percent let's say they improve it but high level track athlete improves their run time by 10 percent and then they come off of they come off of it they still will have improved by like Five percent. There's that, and then the other factor is is that this is kind of stuff I've heard from Victor Conte. He was saying that they would run something like Winstrel before the event and then get them off of it. They don't have as much as they had strength wise, but now they're lighter too. You know, they're not they're not going to hold as much glycogen in the muscle. Um, you can get more. Svelte. The thing is, they 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 may not be at the performance they were when they were on full blown cycle, but they still had a greater performance than they were previously. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But why come off unless he's tested? And if he's tested, I don't think he wants to use EQ. You know, mm. that'd be my thought. But long term, no, right? Yes. Like a year later. Oh, what else do we have here, Dave? Oh, Dave, I wanted to mention something else, too. I'll come back to this one. You have a seminar, an uh, online course coming up here. When does that start? 13th of April, yes. So I think I've, have I mentioned this. I'm sure I've mentioned You this. mentioned it before, but you were saying like you didn't know when you were going to do it. Now you've got a date. Right. Yeah, so um, we finished the trial course. Feedback was very good. There was areas that needed improving and addressing, which I've looked at. So the full-blown course, course, the, the sellout course starts on the 13th of April. Um, it's Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. UK time. They are recorded, so if people can't make the, 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 the sessions, they can obviously watch the recordings. There is coursework set at the end of the sessions that's due prior to the next session. And it starts off relatively easy. So we start off with, with a, an overview of diet. Um, so it's nothing too heavy and complex. Then we move into training, training technique, looking at hinges, levers, low points, things like that. And there's, there's handouts as well. So with the training technique stuff, you, you get a, a video library of training technique. Um, and then we move into anabolics, how they work, cycle building, health markers, reading bloods, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's it's going to be six, seven, two-hour sessions, week on week. Um, and I think there's about three, three spaces, four spaces left on the first course. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, 600 of the fine British pounds. Um, and will Christmas cabbage be there? No. All right. Well, 
you're probably saving money that way too. Like if you had him there, it'd be like at least double that. Well, it's past his bedtime. Oh, he goes to bed early, huh? Hmm. What's this here? Okay. Uh, can we? Can you combine growth hormones, creatogogs, like MK six seven seven, with real GH? Maybe save some money because Lily is expensive. I was thinking Lily fasted in the morning or uh, fat burning qualities in MAK at night before bed for recovery. Can these be used together or will there be a negative effect? You can use them together, but just stick with with the GH. I don't like MK a lot, Dave. Do you? I, I like it for certain things. I don't like it for other things. Yeah. Uh, very person dependent. But the thing is, when you take GH, you suppress your natural GH production. So using something to stimulate natural GH production is going to be somewhat restricted. What would probably work better would be GH AM one day, MK PM the next day. Hmm. And there was a there was a time when a lot of people were doing GH one day and GHRP the next day, and alternating between the two. So one day you suppress your natural production, the next day you boost your natural production, uh, and that that is definitely one way to get a GH response daily without taking GH daily if you're restricting on budget. But then again, GHRP isn't exactly cheap when you're using the levels you'd be using for pulsing on a on an off day anyway. Yeah. But uh, you, you can do it. I'm not sure how effective, how suppressive the GH is going to be by the end of the day and therefore how it's going to restrict MK. Because um, it, it, it's... It would potentially not stop MK from working, but just obviously if you've got already, you know, GH will have a suppressive factor for, I think it's, is it, it's quite a few hours. It's not just like two or three. It's, it's definitely 12 plus. I'm not sure about that. I can't. Mm. Sure it is. So you would have an element of, of suppression on your GH production from your morning GH shot. There was something, um, Scott Stevenson and I had talked about uh, MK677 once. He had some research on it and how long it continued to work, like how many days in a row MK continued to work, had a lot of variability to it. Like there was one guy, so they were doing a test on after the first day, I think, and then after the seventh day, like something like that, like at the beginning, um, after they started it, and then a week in. And there was one guy that had no response seven days later. Mm, okay. So, you know. So I, is that, did they get to a conclusion as to why? No, no. They, but, but I mean, that in itself shows that it might not last long term. It is also mm-hmm. uh, liver toxic. It's a little, little slightly liver stressful so there is that mm-hmm. so you, it's not something you'd necessarily want to run super long term and i've heard of people really getting insulin resistance from mk yeah mk 
Not with everybody, but yeah, he, he can produce some some very high BG readings. Um, I've seen very high bleed logos off MK. I feel like the combo, you're just asking for more potential side effects versus if you were to just use more. I understand growth hormone is expensive, but just using a little bit more growth or just not using more, leaving it, calling it good. Just call it good, Dave. Okay. Uh, what else do we have here, man? Got this you said you had a load of questions. We do. We've got so many. Um, we got another growth hormone question. Let's see. What's this one? Test gels. What do we think about testosterone gels? He says, uh, I've been doing testo gel, a testo gel experiment. Um, uh, says total test 225 and, uh, free is 143. That's his baseline without anything. A month uh, later, total test is 496. Free test is 320. That's 50 milligrams of test gel a day. Uh, then I did 100 milligrams of test gel a day for two months, and he went up to 1232. Free test 928. Um, he says many have doubts about testo gel, uh, and me also, but it clearly worked. And he adds, uh, "What do you guys think of testosterone gels?" They have their place. Um, what you tend to find, I think, where some of the the, the issues around testo gels is come from is that generally people only look at testo gel from a prescription point of view for TRT. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure about stateside, but UK-wise, they can be a bit limited as to how high they will allow you to go on your dosing. So as a result of that, it does limit the potential it can produce it in levels. Um, I know that people just don't like slapping on 100 milligrams of gel Every day. I mean, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't know how many pumps that would be. I don't know where it's dosed at, but I suspect that the 50 milligram would probably have realized slightly better results if he'd given it the two months like he did the 100. Mm. Obviously, he wouldn't realize the results he got off the 100. I mean, it's a higher dose, but I, I do think he would have probably realized slightly better results if he'd have done two months and then tested. Um, it does take some time for these levels to plateau. Yeah, so I guess one thought I would share, how do you feel on it? You know, how do you feel on it compared to injectable? Um, one thing, Adam Lamb, um, I don't know what his company is called now. It might have been Youth Revisited. I, I can't remember, but a friend of mine that I competed with here in Michigan, he started a big TRT clinic. He's down in Texas now with it. And some of the info he was giving me is that as we age, um, our testosterone levels uh, tend to be more stable. They aren't as high, but there is there isn't as many peaks and troughs. It's more of a straight line, and that uh, TRT with a test sip is going to mimic that of an older man's test production. Versus, uh, he feels you can get away with using less, uh, having less having lower levels of test and still feeling really, really good with the gel in part of it being that you're getting these daily spikes, these peaks and troughs, which mimic that of a younger man. 
I do think that a lot of people on TRT get overly obsessed with the numbers and, and forget to look at how just just generally how do they feel. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people expect too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people think that TRT should produce this super youthful, super sexually driven, radiant individual. And the fact is, I don't think I've ever been like that in my whole fucking life, naturally. You're radiant, Dave. I consider you to be a very radiant man. That's just high blood pressure. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, but you know what I mean? It, it's, you know, we are not that many people experience supplementation levels of sex drive or well-being in their natural state. Yeah. And at the end of the day, TRT is, as the name suggests, a replacement therapy to replicate natural states you know we're not designed to feel good and have a permanent heart on all day long and if you do though it may be feel good to you to start with that's not something that you're going to sustain long term yeah yeah i'd agree with you there uh also uh hematocrit issues the hematocrit issues that we get from the longer acting injectables they're not as much of a problem for guys that are doing the, the gel. So I think gel could be a really great method for your cruise dose, you know, for go to TRT, go to a gel. The problem is, is the cost that I know that they have um, uh, compounding pharmacies and uh, prices are cheaper now, but it's it, it's been hundreds of dollars for AndroGel. Uh, you know, per month versus one vial of test that I can get that for, you know, $40 or something with my insurance. Mm. There is definitely an aspect there as well. Yeah. But also application. Uh, you've got to be very wary of skin to skin contact when you're on gel as well. True. I got a question for you. I don't know where this one came from. Somebody asked it recently. It was supposed to be for, um, it's just bodybuilding, and, and I, we totally forgot to ask it. Uh, it was a really good question, so we're going to do it here today. Uh, don't want to. I think you're going to like this one. No, I don't. I don't want your other podcast shoddy hands-offs. I'm not taking scraps from the table, you know. No, I want my own questions. I'm not having second-hand hand-me-down questions. You can fuck off. Okay. Well, we... It's a good question, though, Dave. Okay, forget it. Never mind. But I have another question that somebody asked specifically for this show. And they say, I love Dave Crossland so much, and I specifically want to hear what he has to say about this question. Do we do that one? Okay. Okay. The question was, when did we stop saying roids and start saying gear? Ooh. (laughs) I told you it was a good one. There will have been someone or something that was popular at some point that referred to it as gear. Yeah. Gear sounds very English. I don't know why. It I, does. I, I, it, may, it may not be, but it does sound like it was potentially an English term. I wouldn't be surprised if you guys came up with gear. It also wouldn't surprise me if roids became less popular because of media use of the word. Yeah, roids is a kind of a, it's like hemorrhoids. Roid yeah, rage. but roids is sort of the thing you'd expect. It's like when someone describes steroids as roids, you sort of cringe because it's it, it's almost like you're a teenager and it's a word your mum and dad would use. Yeah, or juice. You know How about I mean? juice? Yeah, 
Lord Juice, I think, is is still semi-socially. I mean, as as slang terms for steroids, gear is definitely very socially acceptable within user communities. I think Juice is 50-50. But I think generally if you use the term roids, they'd either think, who's this old fuck talking to me or you don't know what you're talking about. Because it's very much a media use term these days rather than actually somebody who's within the user community. I I feel like juice is similar to roids in that way, that if somebody were to message Mm -hmm. me and they're like, hey, Scott, I'm thinking about starting some juice, I'd be like, oh, you've done no research. (laughs) You you would be, that's a fucking copper, that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would think it was somebody that had not done any research. I remember when I was 16, uh, the gym I trained at, there was a lad there that all refer, always referred to it as vitamin S. I've heard that before. Hmm. A lot of people, I mean, you, I get people messaging me and they, they're like, can I ask you some questions about supplements? And it's like, yeah, I go on then. And it's like, you mean gear? And this, they, they genuinely, they, they genuinely are nervous about you know, referring directly to steroids. It's like they feel they have to talk in code. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like when we were kids and I used to smoke weed and we'd be like, hey, uh, Quinn, do you want to go get a pizza today? <laughs> that was your code word so, for a Something joint. like that. Something like Fucking that. pizza. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we got to go nuts, pick up nuts, that wing, wing. pizza. Yeah. <laughs> The thing is, you make it so fucking obvious by the way you do it as a right. kid, don't you? It's right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle said, uh, wait, wait. Ask Dave to say 50 again. 50? What was so weird about the way you said 50? I, you say some weird know. shit. You do. I'm not going to lie. What do you mean I say weird shit? You How say, do I say weird shit? You say weird shit, Dave, sometimes. Like words like, like, like the way you pronounce aluminum, for instance. Oh, let's not even go there today, Scott. Come I'm, on. I'm let's serious. Just, the first time you yeah, said this, aluminium, I like I didn't know what the fuck you were talking about the first time. <laughs> yeah, but this this is cheap this is cheap shot shit now. We're gonna go to the American uh, English pronunciation <laughs> part. Uh, I, I don't I don't think you say fifty weird at all. I think it sounds completely normal. Fifty. Fifty. Yeah. Good. I don't hear anything weird. Uh, what else do we got here? Let's see. We're running out of time, so we got to find a good one here. Um, oh, you know what? I don't know where it's at, so I, I can't grab the screen cap unless I can find it. Oh, here it is, as a matter of fact, because I thought this was a good one, uh, something we hadn't talked about, I don't think, but Scott Stevenson had. Um, he says, hey, guys, questions for the podcast. Is there a different absorption rate um, depending on where you inject? And then he has a lot more, but that's the gist. Yeah, I believe there is. Uh, I'm not particularly or fay on it, but I do believe there is genuinely a denser amount of of AR within sort of delts, traps, and that region. And as a result, you do get a slightly higher localized uptake in those areas. Well, the stuff Scott had had said that the smaller muscle groups like delts will 
release the same ester faster. Yes. That, so, yeah. And I think that's what he's getting at. So if you inject mm-hmm. in a glute, the half-life of your test sip is going to be different than if you inject in a delt. Yes. Uh, that's pretty much where I'm at with it as well. Um, and I think glute is, is one of the slowest releasing sites. I, I would think, think so delts too. Is one, I think delts is one of the fastest, followed by buys and tries. Uh, and then I think quads is relatively slow as well. I think it depends too on what you do with it. Like if you if you inject into a muscle and then exercise it, you're moving it around, getting more blood flow, you can definitely break that down a lot quicker. There's a few things. I mean, the other thing is stuff like going into scar tissue. Um, oh, going yeah. into scar tissue will really fuck the absorption rate of your gear. Uh, and and that, can, that can have very dramatic impacts on levels. So the, there's all sorts of things. Going into a fat cell, if you're doing sub-Q, and then it will sit in the fat cell, and it takes much, much longer to get absorbed. So there, there are things like that where you can create depots, where you can create collections or pockets of oil that take a much longer time to get into your system. Real talk. Um, how terrible is that sound and feeling when you go through scar tissue on a shot? I, you sort of get used to it. Um, you mean that, like you're pushing a needle through grit and sand? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you also get the calcification as well from repetitive uh, sites as well. So you, oh. you, you get a combination of you've got a scar tissue buildup, but you've got calcification buildup as well. Yeah. So you are, are literally pushing it through calcified muscle. I'd um, be interested to see like an MRI of a competitive bodybuilder's delts. <laughs> You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But deep tissue, for anyone that wants to know, by the way, deep tissue work will break down that scar tissue and break down that calcification. So it's not something you can't deal with. Yeah. But it, but it does happen. Yeah. All right. See if there uh, got any other winners here, Dave? Something else we could uh, finish the show off with? Do you have any, any topics you got there? I'm looking through what we have here. Topics? No, I've got no topics. All right. Apart from everybody, everybody needs to sign up for my course. That's my topic. Okay. Oh, okay. We'll finish with this. This is a good one. The cabbage is savage, says Paz Paz. Question for the next episode. Uh, On paper, would long esters be better for mass due to the long half-life the drug builds up more in our bodies? Let's say... Every other day injections. Um, there's two questions, so we'll just stick with that one. Uh, on paper, with the longer esters, I would have said it would be much easier to establish and achieve greater blood plasma levels with long esters. You think it's better for mass building? Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Do you ever use short-acting test with people? Occasionally, uh, particularly with strength athletes, so stuff like test suspension, mm-hmm. I'll run for strength athletes. Um, I will sometimes use it for people that have multiple shows, multiple peak mm. issues, or where it comes in really useful is people that work in stuff like offshore. Yeah. 
Oh, because they can what? Because they can get it in fast. Because they they they've got so many weeks offshore where they can't do anything, and then they come back and they've got so many weeks onshore where they can. So you want to get levels high fast. It's not ideal from a side effect point of view, but otherwise you're not going to get that. So you'll start with fast actors when they come back onshore, then with a long ester as well, and then you'll finish on the long ester so that it stays in the system for a period of time when they're away on offshore. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because they just cannot take the drugs with them. Yeah. Other than that, I don't really do test probe. It's just not my jam. I'll, I might run some Sustin on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Sussanon's particular well, relatively stable, and it, it hangs around quite nicely. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Uh, and when was your course again, Dave? We just got that question. Thirteenth of April it starts. All right. So 6 it's coming PM up. PM UK. Yeah, yeah. It's right around the corner. But this show will be out before that. So if you still had a spot left, uh, you know, guys, reach out to Dave because he might have something available. And of course, if you are in the UK and you need to get some lap work done, don't go to the NHS. I've, I'm not part of the UK. I, I know a little bit about the way it works over there just because I talk to Dave every week. And from what I understand, the, the NHS is bollocks. So go to Dave. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> you want? My computer's just started doing weird things. This is Dave's excuse where he's going to hang up on us. Watch. Just no, watch. I just, all my screens just went black. Uh, check out our great sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. Go to supplementsource.ca if you're in Canada. Like I said, eval. That's what I was getting at. Go to eval. You can get Dave to do your blood work. And, um, you know, you have like a real British experience. Hang out with him. His wife will make some of those like little meat pies for you. Uh, it'll be a good, it'll be a nice day. You know, you guys will enjoy each other's company. Uh, and you get your labs read. He'll go over everything in great detail. Uh, and you'll, and not only that, you'll also have made a new best friend. With that said, guys, for another episode of Drugs and Stuff. I fucking hate you. <laughs> I hate you with every bone in my body. We appreciate you, you guys wishing, watching. Coxbangle. <laughs> Coxbangle. Thanks, Dave. We'll see you guys soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs>